We live in an extremely angry society, don't we? It doesn't take much to see many people become offended and to respond with great anger and hostility. For, for example, there, there's a collection of videos online that a person has developed as he has decided to make it his life's mission to ensure that people know that when they have a shopping cart, they're supposed to return it to the right stall in the parking lot, not just leave it scattered throughout the lot. It seems like a, a rather simple thing. He, his point is that to, to live in a civilized society, we need to work together, and part of that working together is we put our shopping carts where they belong. Well, inevitably, as he finds people getting in their car, abandoning their, their carts next to their car, he, he challenges them and asks them to please return it. Inevitably, it seems like there becomes a confrontation that escalates into anger. People quickly become furious that, that their actions would be challenged in, in such a way. At first, actually, I, I thought that these videos might be humorous. Uh, I, I confess that there's times I left, have left my cart right next to my vehicle, you know, right where I won't bump it as I leave, but I've left it there. And, I, and in my mind, I just imagine how embarrassed I would be if a guy with a camera comes up to me and says, would you return your, part, your cart to his stall? I thought it might be humorous to see all the embarrassment that people undergo. Well, after watching a couple of the videos, I had to, to stop because what I found is instead of being embarrassed, they become angry. And, and quickly, their, their videos become laced with profanity as, as their anger overflows. I was shocked by how angry people can become with such a minor challenge to their actions. It's, it's like explosive anger is, is simply right under the visible surface of their lives, and all it takes is a tiny nudge, and it will erupt and explode. As Christians, our lives, assuming that, that we are living our lives in, in a Christ-like fashion, and we're using our lives to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ, our lives are a constant challenge to the people in rebellion against God. Our, our very existence presents a challenge to their behavior. For that reason, we, we can expect that there will be this anger that's just below the surface of people erupting time and again directed toward us. We know that it will explode in our direction and when we find ourselves on the receiving end of all that hostility, how should we respond? We're, we're continuing our series here on developing genuine love. Love, genuine Christian love, is that thing that our Savior says sets us apart as Christians from the rest of the world at large. We are separated from the unsaved world by our display of love. That means we need to get love right. If we're going to magnify our Savior, we need to have love right. Since this is an ongoing series, we're continuing this morning with the list of characteristics that Paul provides in Romans chapter 12. What, what Paul lists in this passage is the things that God says define love. These are what God considers genuine love. And we've been taking this list item by item, examining our lives, evaluating how do we stack up in comparison to this list. Is our love genuine or not? So turn with me again, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Paul's list begins in, in verse 9. Verse 9, remember, it starts with this overall 
heading for the list, genuine love, or, or love without hypocrisy. And then in, in the following set of verses, 10 and 11, he gives characteristics of, of genuine love. These are the things, A, B, C, that make up genuine love. Verse 12 describes the environment that, that produces genuine love. And, and verse 13 considers the practical effects that, that come out of our lives into our relationships as we have genuine love. That, that's how far we've made it in our series so far. Paul has written, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Well, this morning we're going to continue. We're going to keep walking our way into the list. And as we do, we'll run into a style change this morning. Uh, All the ING words that I just read, devoting and contributing and practicing and persevering, all of those ING words, if you recall, have the force of command. But now Paul begins to give straight-up commands. There's no missing the the point that these are the things that we are expected to do. Our our verse this morning is, is the very next verse, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's a command. Those bless is a command, do not curse is a command, bless the second time is a command. Those are straight up commands. And, And these commands in this verse may not be that hard to understand. But, but that doesn't mean that this is not going to be a challenge to us. It's possible that this morning, this verse may turn out to be one of the most challenging aspects of genuine love that we find anywhere in this list. My, my plan this morning is to make three observations about the command that, that we have here and then to draw a conclusion from these three observations. The, the first thing I want to observe is that Blessing is more than being nice. It's more than being nice. Clearly, verse 14 focuses on the idea of blessing. The the command to bless is given twice there, which is is one way that's available to Paul to emphasize it. When he repeats something, that's a way to emphasize it. And then the command is also contrasted with its negative of of cursing. That's another way of emphasizing the the original command. Give Give the contrast. We, we live in a world of television. In the world of television, these literary choices Paul makes, it might function kind of like the way advertisers get our attention. They use a couple things that are available to them. They increase the volume and they brighten the background because increased volume and brighter background attracts our attention. And advertisers only have 30 seconds or so to grab our attention and give us focus on the product. So they use these tools available in a visual stimuli to grab us. Well, Paul uses what's available to him. He uses repetition. He uses the, the antithesis here. And he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. But what does bless mean? That's likely one of those words that we use all the time. But, but we would still find a, a very difficult time if we're forced to provide a precise definition. 
What does it mean to bless? We use it all the time. I mean, every time someone sneezes, we probably say, bless you. Yesterday I sneezed, and, and Finley, not even three years old yet, immediately says, bless you. I grew up, of course, at her age hearing Gesundheit, but that's only because I grew up in a German community, and Gesundheit means bless you. You, you maybe had similar th- things in your background. But we probably all follow this similar pattern. We, we use this word, bless you. Why do we do that? What does it mean? Think about it for a moment. How would you define bless? You might think about doing something nice for people, if that's what bless means, but since I already gave you this idea on the screen, you you probably recognize it's it's probably something more than that. Sure, we are to be nice. We, We are not to be angry at the people in the world around us. We are to show kindness rather than anger. We... We are to do these things, but we need to go beyond that. We need to go beyond being nice if we are to understand what blessing means. It means more, but in what manner of more? Well, in order to answer that question, let's think about how the word is used in the New Testament. That's where our definition needs come from. Sometimes the word in the New Testament is used for people blessing God. We are to bless God the Father. In that case, the, the meaning means that we ascribe praise to God. We, we recognize Him for who He is and, and for what He has done. Most of the time, though, the, the word is used in the New Testament in a different fashion. Most time, God is not the object to be blessed. In fact, most of the time, God is the source of blessing. The word bless is used most often in the Bible with the sense of either desiring favor from God or acknowledging that favor has already come from God. For example, several times in Scripture we have references to the Lord blessing food before a meal or even others blessing food before a meal is eaten. The, the idea is that the simple fact there is food in front of you that is there to be eaten, that food indicates that God has shown his favor on the people who are about to consume that food. At the same time, there's a desire that through the food, God would show further favor by by granting health and strength to, to those who are about to eat. That's why it's still good for us to, to say a blessing over our food before we eat. We want to recognize this food is from God and he will use it to strengthen us and give us health. It's divine favor on display. Other times in, in the Bible we have examples of, of people blessing people. The, these examples are closer to the idea in our verse because this is our genuine love that we're our display, this idea of blessing. And remember, this genuine love is about relationships. It's about us as people, having relationship with other people. So the examples in, Bible, in the Bible of people blessing people get closer to what Paul is instructing us here when he tells us to bless others. One example of this kind of blessing is Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon sees the baby Jesus. And we're told that as soon as he sees the baby Jesus, he blessed Joseph and Mary. By doing that, Simeon is acknowledging that God has shown his divine favor on the nation of Israel by bringing forth the Messiah. 
And Joseph and Mary, as parents of Jesus, have been the recipients of that divine favor. They've been the conduit, the channel through which this divine favor is flowing. Elizabeth, in a similar vein, earlier in Luke, in chapter 1, verse 42, the moment she saw that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, probably, um, she, she also blessed Mary. Not probably, Luke 1, 42 says she did. She blessed Mary. We probably all know that the oft-repeated phrase, blessed is he who comes in what? Fill in the blank. The name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, all of these examples, a person's blessed if he comes in the name of the Lord, Elizabeth blesses Mary, Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph, all of these examples have one thing in common. There's one thread that flows throughout. It's common throughout all the New Testament as well, for that matter, the Old Testament. That common theme is God's divine favor. The, the underlying biblical idea of blessing is that God alone is the one who possesses all blessings. God alone is the one who can therefore dispense any and all blessings. There is no blessing other than what comes from the hand of God. God is the source of blessings. Blessings are his divine favor. So we call on God to dispense his blessing on others. We acknowledge that God is showing his divine favor on others when he gives blessings. At times, we can even share some of the divine favor that God has given us with other people, thus becoming part of the conduit that God has created for blessings to flow from him to people. For us to bless others means that we are seeking for God to dispense his favor upon them, either directly or indirectly, whichever means he chooses. And when you think of it that way, Blessing is so much more than being nice. Blessing, as the Bible uses the term, it deals with the spiritual matter. It's this creation of this conduit between God and man. God and a person, a conduit through which divine favor flows. Think yesterday of the massive water pipe that, that broke and caused so many people to be under a boil water advisory. I mean, there was almost a million people when they counted up the, the communities affected by this broken water pipe. That water pipe was broken and the water now did not flow the way it was intended to. It, the pipe had, had to be repaired for water to flow like it's meant. Well, to bless someone is to wish for divine favor to flow to that person. A person other than us. We want to see this conduit is established between God and that person. That conduit may flow through us. It may flow through someone else. It may flow directly from God to that person. But we want there to be a conduit through which that person receives divine favor. And for that reason, it is a spiritual matter. For that reason, it is a component of genuine love. So as we think about our verse this morning, our first observation is that blessing is more than being nice. It's a desire that God's favor would fall on someone. The second thing that I want us to observe, the second observation from our verse, is that cursing our antagonists is natural. Cursing our antagonists is natural. Bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. When we think about the word curse, we, we generally think of it as a synonym to swearing. Curse is to swear is how we often think of it. Well, there, there certainly is some overlap between cursing and swearing, but, but notice that Paul uses this word curse as the antithesis of bless. It is the exact opposite of bless. That, that means if, if to bless someone is to desire that God's favor would fall on someone, then to curse someone indicates that we want God to bring disaster or spiritual ruin upon a person. It's a desire to see someone experience the wrath of God rather than the favor of God. That's not that hard to understand. It's not that hard to understand what it means, but, but we need to notice who we're not to curse. Now that we, we can understand curse, we need to notice who are we not to curse. Paul says that we are not to curse those who persecute us. Last Sunday, if, if you were here, I mentioned that the word that Paul uses in our verse this morning was used in the phrase we looked at last week. Last week, the, the New American Standard translated it as practicing, practicing hospitality. And, and this week now, this word's translated as persecute, but it's the same word. The, the literal translation of the word, you may recall, is pursue, pursue. We are to pursue hospitality, and we are to bless rather than curse those who pursue us. Now, of course, these people are not pursuing us for the sake of blessing us. Rather, the, the reason they're pursuing us, the reason that pursuit is underway, is so that harm and hardship can come into our lives. That they can administer difficulties to us. That, that's what the idiom that Paul uses means, and that's why the New American Standard, along with all of the other main English translations, translate the word in this verse as those who persecute. They're pursuing for the purpose of persecution. Well, we need to recognize that our love for Christ, our desire to live obediently to Christ, it, it sets us apart from the world around us. As we said in our series through First Peter, we are misfits in this world. We will not fit in. Furthermore, because of our faith, and if we live out that faith, our faithfulness to, to Christ, there, there will be people who want to harm us. We're going to encounter antagonists just because we are Christians. Just because we love Christ and they do not. That and that alone is enough to bring antagonism toward us. Christ warned us in John 15, 18 that, that we should expect that because the world hated him. And if it hated him, it will hate us. If we, if we live faithful to Christ, we should expect that hatred to, to come our way. Our, our lives cast a, a light upon the sin that, that they want to deny and they will hate us for it. All we have to do to experience antagonism from this world is, is to state absolute moral truth. God has made us either male or female and thus gender is not a fluid concept that, that can be changed. God has decreed that marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. God has forbidden sexual activity outside of marriage. We, we don't have to work very hard to come up with a list of moral truths that the moment we state them, put them immediately at odds with our culture around us, and that will bring antagonism our direction. But Paul's point 
does not deal with the fact that we should expect such antagonism, that, that we should expect persecution. That's not his point. Paul's point deals with how we are to respond when we receive such. How are we to respond to our persecutors, to our antagonists? You, you see, hatred will never affect us as a general ideology. It's not an abstract idea that we will be hated. Hatred will affect us through real individuals, people who will persecute us. People will mock us. They will profane us. They will take away our jobs. They will take away our possessions. They might even harm us and our families. People will do that, not abstract ideas. How are we to respond to real life Flesh and blood people. What is clear is that we are not to curse them. No matter how hard they make our lives, no matter how unfair the antagonism is, we are not to curse them. Commands in the Bible that deal with not doing things always deal with not doing things that come naturally. We we're never told to not do things that we would never do in the first place unless we were told intentionally to go out and do them. We're, we're only told to not do things that we will do naturally unless we take an effort not to do them. For example, I'm quite sure in all the times that people have pranked me and done things with me, no one has ever told me to blink when they pretend to hit me. They, they never have to tell me, blink, as they do that. Blinking comes naturally. Instead, they always say, try not to blink, and then pretend to hit me. Right? That's the way it works. You're told to not do what comes naturally. You're not told to do what comes naturally. Keeping my eyes open, that's the unnatural action when someone's pretending to hit me. Well, Paul tells us not to curse those who persecute us he tells us that because our natural reaction to persecution is to want to curse them. We want to harm those who harm us. We want to strike at the antagonist. We want our antagonist to get his or her just due. We instinctively want God to bring harm down upon this person. We want them to be ruined. We want spiritual ruin to fall on them. Imprecatory prayers come naturally to our lips. After all, whether people realize it or not, this is what people are doing when they utter curses like, damn, or even the, the substitute euphemism of darn. When they utter that to a person they are angry with, they are bringing a precatory prayer upon it. Whether they recognize it or not, their words are asking God to bring spiritual damnation upon their enemy at that moment. Those are serious words. Even when uttered in a flippant, thoughtless manner, they are serious words. We're Christians. We are told that we are not to do these things. We are Christians. We bear the name of Christ. We represent Christ to the world around us. We cannot allow ourselves to yield to such thoughtless, sinfully motivated impulses, those things that come naturally 
We're to resist our natural inclinations and not curse our antagonists as part of displaying genuine love. Cursing our antagonists is natural. That's the second observation that I want to make here this morning. The, the third observation that I want to make is that blessing our antagonists is supernatural. Blessing our antagonists is supernatural. Remember, blessing means that, that we're seeking God's favor to fall upon someone. We're actively seeking for God to, to bring his favor upon someone. Well, to actively seek down our persecutors means that we are actively seeking their good. To, to bless our persecutors means that we are not praying imprecatory prayers upon them, asking God to destroy them. Instead, we are praying for them, for their benefit. We're asking God to allow their lives to continue in a way that is good. Praying this for our antagonists is not natural. It is supernatural. Because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, because we have new life in Christ, we are called to do things that are supernatural. As Christians, we're called to continually resist doing what comes naturally through our sin nature and to do what only Christ alone can cause to happen and through our, His Spirit dwelling in us. Doing the things that, that only can be explained by the Holy Spirit's presence. It's one thing to tell people that we believe in Jesus as our Savior. We can state all the facts required for salvation. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died because we deserve that death. Jesus rose from the dead victorious. Jesus died in our place, rising again. And through faith, when we believe in Him, we're forgiven by God. We can state all the components of the gospel. And by the way, if you don't know those components, talk to me. Talk to me afterwards. Send an email to me at that address. I'd love to share these details with you in full. We can know all these things. We can say that we believe these things. But when our life changes because of our faith in Jesus Christ, when our life begins being lived out in a way that is supernatural, not natural, that's when the world wakes up and takes notice of us. That's when we wrap the gospel in a supernatural wrapper that is attractive to the unsaved. They want to know what makes us so different. Yes, we have to tell them. And we should be proclaiming what we know and what we believe. But we certainly need to be wrapping it in the love of genuine love. There's nothing natural about seeking divine favor for those who persecute us. Yet that's what we're called to do in this verse. Paul, of course, is simply echoing the words of our Lord that our Lord alone already has said these are the characteristics of citizens of his kingdom. In Matthew 5.44, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, in Luke chapter 6, he, he told his disciples that citizens of his kingdom will be like this. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. 
In other words, Jesus said, you are going to live in a manner that is completely different from what is natural to those who are under the curse of sin. If you're citizens of my kingdom, you will live in a starkly different way. It will, you will shine then as spotlights in this dark world. Well, choosing to bless those who persecute us, choosing to bless our antagonists, that displays the supernatural characteristics of Christ in his kingdom. That's the third observation that I want us to make here. Blessing our antagonists is supernatural. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Three observations we've made here this morning. Blessing is more than being nice. Cursing our antagonists is natural. Blessing our antagonists is supernatural. Three observations. Having made those, let's, let's now try to pull it all together. What is the, the natural conclusion that comes from these observations? Well, the way I would state the main lesson this morning, it's even longer than the way Paul wrote the verse, which is probably my gift of words versus his gift of words. He's much superior. But I would state it this way. Genuine Christian love gently seeks the welfare of those for whom we are least inclined to seek it. That's how I would state it. Genuine Christian love gently seeks the welfare of those to whom we are least inclined to seek it. I think it's easy to see where the least inclined comes from, where we're naturally least inclined to seek the welfare of those who, who are hostile toward us, those who hate us. The, the idea of gently comes from the fact that blessing is the opposite of cursing. Cursing is violent, antagonistic. Blessing, therefore, must be gentle. And rather than seeking harm, we're, we're seeking good. We're, we're seeking the welfare of these who are seeking our harm. We're looking for their betterment through God as he shows divine favor. This is the requirement of genuine Christian love. Re remember, I said at the outset that understanding this morning is not the hard part. Understanding is not hard. Still, this is possibly one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging idea that we encounter in this list when it comes to putting it into practice. So here comes the hard part. It's time to examine ourselves. It's time to ask ourselves and evaluate, are we doing what we're told to do? Are we blessing those who persecute us? Now, I know that, that we are not suffering major direct persecution this morning. We can rejoice that, that we are not in a place where there are those ready to storm in our doors and haul us into prison and then torture us because we bear the name of Christ. We can rejoice that our country is not at that point. At the same time, I want us to realize that the Romans that, that Paul was writing to were not facing special persecution at this time either. There, there's no evidence that there was any direct persecution of the Christians in Rome at this moment of history. The direct persecution against Christianity came later. Yet Paul wrote these words to, to Christians in Rome at the time because they needed his admonition even without direct persecution. They needed his admonition if they were going to live radically supernatural lives. And we need it as well. Are you seeking 
the welfare of those who belittle you because of your faith? Do you pray that God will bless them? They may hold a different political position than you. Are you praying God's blessing upon the neighbor who has an election sign supporting the opposing party's candidate? Maybe the neighbor is even flying a flag that belittles your preferred candidate. And you prefer your candidate because you believe your candidate lines up with biblical standards, although that's getting increasingly hard to find, isn't it? Well, in this divided political scene of our country, opposing parties often mean a level of hostility. Do you want to see those from the opposing party in your neighborhood blessed by God? How about those elected from the opposing party? Do you want to see them blessed by God? Let's move into the workplace. If there's someone in your workplace who seems to antagonize you as their hobby. If so, hopefully it's because of your faith, not just because you're a jerk. If there's someone in your workplace that loves to antagonize you because of your faith. I've mentioned this person before. When, when I was in the corporate world, one of my clients reveled in finding opportunities to expound his wild weekends whenever I was in a meeting with him. He knew because I was a client, my ability to end the meeting was somewhat limited. I was trying to service the client. And and this revelry of his started after he learned that I was going to seminary. And after a little prodding, he also learned that my weekends were drastically different than his. He knew this and enjoyed making me uncomfortable with his immoral lifestyle. He was my personal persecutor. Well, is there a person like that in your workplace? Is there a personal persecutor? And if so, are you praying for that person's welfare? Let's bring the circle a little bit tighter. Are there family members who are openly hostile to you because of your faith? All you have to do is mention Jesus or mention your church and the claws come out. And because they're family members, they know exactly how to strike with those claws to make it hurt. Are you praying for their welfare? It doesn't matter who our persecutors are. We will not be inclined to pray for their welfare. Sure, we we might pray for their salvation, and that's good. But is our motivation really their welfare at that point? I don't know. We're such complex creatures. We know that if they accept Christ, that persecution that they're given to us because of our faith will end. So at least part of our prayer for their salvation might be internally motivated, that we just want the persecution to end. But if we're praying for their salvation and their current blessing, whether they are saved or not, we are more likely to be living out a supernatural fashion what we see in this verse this world is filled with anger and hostility as i said simply pointing out that someone should return their shopping cart to the rack is sufficient to bring out great hostility from many in this world we do not have to worry about being on the receiving end of hostility 
Rather, because of Christ, what we need to worry about is seeking that God will lavish divine favor on those who persecute us. This is what genuine love, gentle love, Christian love requires of us. Genuine Christian love gently seeks the welfare of those who we are least inclined to seek it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we pray that you would send your spirit among us. Father, I pray first of all that you would cause your spirit to shine a bright searchlight into each of our lives so that we would be examined and that the spirit would reveal under that bright light where we are failing to live out genuine love as is displayed here in this chapter. Father, specifically, help us to see where we are failing to bless those who persecute us, where we find ourselves still cursing, even if it's only inwardly in our minds, cursing those who persecute us rather than blessing them. Reveal that to us, Father, and then bring us to repentance. May we bow before you, confessing our failure, because we have a true desire to magnify Jesus Christ. Father, may we go out of here today and live out this week magnifying our Savior, Jesus Christ, proclaiming our faith in Him boldly with our lips to those who need to hear of Him, but may we also be proclaiming Him with our lives as we live in a way that is completely countercultural, a way that is supernatural, blessing those who persecute us. Father, we want to do this because we want to see our Savior lifted up. We want to see others come to know Him as their Savior so that all the glory would, uh, would be ascribed to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we pray this in His precious name. Amen.